0: Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. I'm going to preach today uh, just a, a question, question for you and that is, what's in your hand? What is in your hand? you want to go with me to Exodus chapter number 4. Exodus chapter number 4. I'm going to read the first four verses. Then we're going to skip down and we're going to read verse 20. It says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? Thus the title of today's message. What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. It's a good thing to do if you see a snake, run away. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and called it, and it became a rod in his hand. God wanted to know, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And we'll go over to verse 20. It says, And Moses took his wife and his sons, and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. The rod of God in his hand. We have to understand a little bit about Moses in this time. Moses is living on the backside of a desert. He's been there for decades. He's very far removed from his upbringing. We all know Moses was born an Israelite, but had been raised by Potiphar's daughter. He had been raised as an Egyptian. He came to an age where he started to understand that and look into his roots. And he went out into the place where the slaves were working, God's people were working, and he seen an Egyptian taskmaster abusing an Israelite slave. The Bible tells us that he rose up against that man and a struggle ensued and Moses killed that guy that day. Because of that, he he thought it would be okay. The Bible says he buried him in the sand and he went out the next day. And even the people of God, when he, he began to talk to them, they said, what are you going to do? Kill us too? So Moses became afraid that word was going to make its way back to Pharaoh. And his life would be required of him. And he runs away. So now he's disconnected from his upbringing. He is severed. From his his roots, where he's actually from, the the people that he's a part of, and he finds himself living. The Bible says on, on the backside of the desert, far away, and he he marries, uh, he makes some marriages, he has some kids, and he's tending his father-in-law's herds. That's that's where Moses's life is at this time. And as any shepherd, he had a, a staff, or as this scripture calls it, a rod in his hand, and he's making his way through doing what he does, tending to the sheep one day, and he looks up into the mountain and there is a, a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. It's burning and there's, there's physical flames that he can see and yet that in itself wasn't that strange, but as he watched it, this, this bush was not decreasing in size, it wasn't being turned into ashes, it was just continually on fire. He said, I have to, have to go and see what this is. He turns aside, he begins to approach this, and God speaks out of this bush, and he tells him, wait, before you come any closer, you need to recognize that this is a holy place right now. My presence has saturated this place. He said, take off your shoes, Uh, approach with caution. And he comes to this bush, and God begins to speak to Moses, and he says, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to walk back into the situation that you're running away from, and to speak with authority. I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at the time, and demand that he release his slave workforce. That's a pretty bold request. You're already living in fear. You're already living under condemnation and guilt of what you've done. You recognize that it was wrong. And and that's been compounded by decades of time and separation. And now God speaks to you and says, I, I want you to return to that situation. Don't just go back and ease your way in. March right into Pharaoh and demand of him that he he give you this great resource that he thinks belongs to him. And Moses naturally begins to argue and say, well, God, I don't know that I feel too good about this plan. I, I think maybe from where I'm at, I see some problems that maybe you're not aware of. See, I... I don't speak real good. And I I have this issue. And I have that issue. And there's a a dialogue that pursues. You can read it. And finally he comes to this point and he says, God, even your people. Like, let's set Pharaoh aside for a moment. Even your people. I'm going to sound like a lunatic walking in and talking to the Israelites and saying, yeah, I was was in the desert and there was this bush that was on fire. And he said, in his words, he said, they're going to say to me, the Lord has not appeared to you. You're a fool. The task is too large. God, I can't do it. God speaks back and He says, not an answer, but a question. What's in your hand? What are you holding on to? He's like, way to change the subject, God. It's a stick. It's It's a rod. It's insignificant. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I mean, I use this to correct unruly sheep. I use this to ward off predators. It it, it helps me as I'm walking through the day. It's something that brings a little bit of balance into my life. But God said, what's in your hand? And He said, said, a rod. It's my rod. It's it's my staff. It's interesting, though, that in the, the few verses between verse 4 and verse 20, that there's a transition that takes place. We read it. God said, throw the rod on the ground. So he throws the rod on the ground. It turns into a snake. Pick the rod back up. Pick the snake up by the tail. He, he does. It turns back into a rod. At this point, there is a transition that takes place. Because when God asked him, what's in your hand, it was Moses' rod. That was his rod. It belonged to him. It, it, it was his staff. It was his stick. I don't know where he found it. I don't know how he got it, but it, it was his. Anyone that that seen that or seen him with that could identify it as such. But when we get to verse 20, there's just a a change of terminology. And it says, Moses, he took all of his family, and, and he got them ready, and they're getting ready to go and be obedient. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. The same stick, the same staff. Nothing had really changed about the physical makeup, but everything had changed about the potential of what was in Moses' hand because possession was now God's. And we read that through this transition we can see countless miracles that took place connected to this stick. Something that seems so insignificant, so foolish, so stupid really. I'm going to march into Egypt a well-equipped, well-armed nation with a stick and declare that God's people be set free. But it was with that rod that God chose to part the Red Sea. It was with that rod that God chose later as the children of Israel were, were going into battle to bring about victory. The Bible says that there there was a battle that ensued and Joshua was leading the armies of God and Moses was up in a mountain and he he lifted up his hands with that rod in one hand. And as long as his hands were uplifted, the children of Israel were victorious. But if his hands were to come down low and the rod was lowered, they would begin to be defeated. Well, that sounds like a pretty simple answer, Moses. Just, Just keep your hands in the air. How long can you hold your hands in the air? Much left with, with a rod, with a staff, with something that, that's got a little bit of weight. Probably for a while, but the shoulders start to burn, and you start to feel it in the lats, and the neck tightens up. And after a while, your hands become heavy. The Bible says that there were two other men of God that came alongside of Moses, and, and they put something there for him to sit on, and they helped him lift up his hands. But the miracle is connected to the rod. Again, it's just a stick. But in God's possession it's so much more than a stick. When it was in God's control and he was the one in charge of it. Can anybody tell me why Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land? He hit the rock twice. He hit the rock. What did he hit it with? He misused the rod. He hit it with the staff. That's not what God told him to do. God said speak to the rock. And Moses, because he was ticked off and having a bad attitude and he was sick of the, the grumblings of the people, he took that staff that he was so accustomed to and, and he he retook he repossessed that staff and he took it back out of the hand of God and used it. And God provided for the need of the people, but he spoke to Moses and he said, You're you're not going, you're not going in. Man, that's so severe, God. I mean, Moses is a pretty good guy. He's done pretty good by you. And and God says, yes, but you you took back what you gave to me. That thing that I have used to lead you through a sea, that thing that I have used to bring about victory in your life, and and you've seen miracle after miracle when that was in my hand, but then, then you try to reclaim possession and it doesn't work out. See, we're not as capable at yielding the things that we possess as God is. That's a fairly simple statement, but it has pretty wide implications. Let's look at another story in Scripture. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. Very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to start reading at verse 39. I don't think 39 is in the computer. I think only 40 is. Verse 39 says, And David girded his sword upon his armor and he assayed to go for he had not proved it. David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Verse 40 And David took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. David and Goliath. So the transaction that's taking place here is he has finally convinced King Saul to allow him to go out and do battle with this giant Goliath. And King Saul said, okay, listen, this is, this is crazy. You're just a kid. You, we've never trained you. But uh, all of my soldiers are hiding, and I'm a coward, and I'm not going to go. So, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. He finally convinces him, but he says, look, I can't just send you out through here. Have my armor. And he begins to give David all of his, his armor, his bro- breastplate, and his helmet, and his sword. And David makes a, an interesting statement. We often say things like, oh, it was too heavy, and it, and it was. It was too large. It was too heavy. It didn't fit. But David recognized something else. He said, I, I have not proved these things. See, I don't, these aren't my possessions. These aren't something that I'm familiar with. And rather, he takes in his hand, or takes in his possession a shepherd's bag and a sling, and he goes down to the brook and he kneels down and he takes out five stones, five rocks. Again, just as foolish as a stick. You've got a, a literal giant standing before you that is a champion, the Scripture says, of another nation. He's, he's trained in war. He knows what he's doing. There's an armor bearer that goes before him. The Bible starts to describe how tall he is and how big his spear is and how, how big his shield and his sword. Pretty intimidating guy. And David's like, yeah, I think I'll take these rocks. That's a lot of confidence. Why did David have such confidence? Because he chose something that he had proved. Now, we all have possessions. We all have things in our life that we've proved. That we've become confident in. Our own abilities. I'm not talking about faith. I'm not talking about having confidence in God. That's another message for another time. You have ways of doing things. Ways of interacting with people. You have tactics for raising your your children, you have tactics for making friends, you have tactics for learning if you can trust people, and you you rely heavily on those because you've proved them. You're confident in them. But David had to take what he was confident in and and still come to a realization that though I'm proficient, even though I've been practicing with the sling, the task before me is, is far too great. I'm not going to be able to bring about victory, even with all my skill. I'm going to go at this thing with the, with the resources that I'm most comfortable with. But even at that, I don't stand a chance. So we read in verse 48 through 50 in the same chapter, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon the face of the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. He had to be willing to release the thing that he was so confident in. But he didn't release it he, when he has the dialogue in between the two texts that we just read in the same chapter. There's a conversation that takes place between uh, David and Goliath. And Goliath starts laughing and He says, what, what am I, a dog? That, that the, the nation of Israel has sent a child out here to run me off? You're, you're incapable. You're, you're inadequate. Why is there not a man willing to fight it? And he just begins to belittle and talk trash to David. And David made a statement, he said, you're coming against me with a sword and a spear. But what he didn't follow that phrase up with is, I'm coming against you with a stone and a sling. And man am I good with the stone and the sling. I can hit a can on a fence post from 50 yards away with my stone and my sling. You don't know, No, he didn't say any of those things. He said, you're coming against me with a sword and a spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. He said, I'm going to take this thing that I'm so confident and so comfortable and so capable in, and I'm going to release that into the hand of God. And when I give over what is in my hand into the hand of God, something supernatural is going to take place. And so he he releases stone number one out of five. There's a couple ways to look at this, but one thing is I don't think God spoke to David and said, David, the first rock you throw is going to slay that Philistine. If he had, David only needed one rock. David was prepared for the long battle. He was prepared to maneuver and, and try to evade and, and reload. But but God took the very first stone that he threw and it, it just pinpoint right between the armor into the forehead of of a giant who falls to the ground and is dead. Why? Because he was willing to take what was in his hand, even though it seemed so insufficient, and trust God to use it to do something miraculous. One more passage of Scripture, just a little bit further. 2 Kings chapter number 4. We're going to read there verses 1 through 7. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, listen to the question. Sounds a lot like the question God's been asking. Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbor's. Even empty vessels borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her sons, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. The woman's coming, she's in distress. She's lost her husband, and there was debt to be paid. There was no life insurance policy in place, if you will. And so the, the practice of the day in, in this situation, the creditor would then come, and if you were unable, she's unable to pay the debt, then her sons would be taken as payment for the debt, and they would work as servants a long enough period of time until that debt had been paid. And so she's crying out to the prophet here saying, listen, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know where to turn because my husband, a godly man, has passed away. And while I'm dealing with, with grieving about that and I'm trying to raise these young boys and, and now the, the notice has come in the mail, they're, they're on their way, they're going to take my kids. That's a pretty tough spot to be in. And the prophet looks back and he says, what do you, what do you want me to do about it? What do you have in your house? What do you got? And she says, I don't have anything. That's how she praised it. I don't have anything. Oh, except there's one pot of oil. Now, I've been on hard times before, but I don't know that I've ever been so hard up that all I had was one pot of oil. That's a bad day. And the prophet says something to her that seems so, so foolish. Go out to all your neighbors and start borrowing empty pots. See, I don't think you understood the, the problem. <laughs> I've got all this debt, and I just lost... No, just just go to your neighbors and, and borrow as many empty pots as you can get your hands on. All I have, you, you remember, though, I said, it's just a little pot of oil. It's not like maybe you're thinking a big pot. It's just a little pot of oil. No, just go out and borrow as, as many vessels as you can find empty vessels is to go back in the house and shut the door and take that that pot of oil that you have in your house and put it in the hands of god and as you do that just start pouring that oil into these other vessels the empty vessels just just start pouring it out and it was just a little pot just a little vessel It, it wasn't even significant enough she almost didn't even mention it but but oh yeah i do have that pot of oil and the Bible says that she started to pour it out. And as, as one vessel would fill, they would set that to the side and her sons would bring a, another vessel over and, and she would pour into that vessel and the, the one that she started with should have been empty, but the oil just kept flowing and, and, and then another and, and then another until she said, hey, Burke, we need another pot. And that's all we got. <laughs> They're all full. We don't have any empty vessels left. Why? Because she was willing to take the little thing that she had, the simple thing that she had, and put it in the hands of someone that could do far more with it than she would have ever been able to do. And she goes back to the prophet. She says, man, you're you're not going to believe this. Or maybe you will, but every pot is full. And he said, go out and sell the oil and you're going to have enough to pay the debt and enough to live on for you and your children. I'm asking today, I'm preaching today, what... What is in your hand? What's in your hand? And a lot of times, just like this widow woman, we find ourselves and, and we say, well, there's really, really nothing in my hand. And then maybe there's a, there's a little flicker in our brain, oh, except, except that that thing. And the little amount of time that we have available, or the small amount of resources that are at our disposal, that little act of kindness that I can give over and distribute to another individual that seems so small. It couldn't really make a difference. It couldn't really impact the life of another person. It couldn't really change my circumstances. And it couldn't really alter my relationships. And God's saying, well, what is that in your hand? Oh, it's just it's just a staff. Well, it's just, just a rock. It's just a, a little pot of oil well, It's just just an hour on Saturday for outreach. It's, it's just another five minutes a day in prayer. That's all I got time for. God. I, I, honestly, that's all I got the words for and I would struggle to put those together to, to spend another another five minutes in prayer. It's only five minutes. Oh, it's, it's just a, it's just a day of fasting. That's all I can do. It's just just a little bit more time in the word of God. It's, it's really not that significant. What I have to offer, what, what I've got to give, I, I'm not a rich man. I don't. I can't put a lot of money in the plate. I I, I don't have those abilities. I don't. I don't have those. Well, it's just a little change in my attitude. That's all I can really muster up right now. It's just a just a small adjustment in the way I see things. It's just a little more intentionality with how I interact with my family. It, it's just. It's it's just so insignificant. Just a little bit of love. I believe what God's saying today is if if you'd be willing to take that that little bit that you feel like isn't even important enough to mention or to talk about and put it in my hands and trust me with it, I can do so much more than you can ever imagine with what you already have in your hands. The things that you already possess. The things that, that, that you already got hold of. The ones that you've proved. Well, I put a lot of stock and trust in my work ethic because it was, it was ingrained in me as a child. And I, I'm a hard worker. And God says, yes, if you if you just put that in my hands. I know you're good at it. I, I know you've, you've honed those skills. I, I know you've got those abilities. But man, if you, would just, if you just let me hold that for a minute, I could show you something. I, I could change some things. I could alter some situations. What difference does a little bit make I'm working with with a guy right now who's willing to to invest and spend some time in the several pastors in our in our district and they planted a church. and it was in another state, it was in another area, but they started a church and after year number one, they had about 37 people. We could pretty well relate to that. We've, we've been in that ballpark that's a little higher than where we are, but it, it's a setting a lot like this. At the end of year three, 350 people, on an average, and so I'm talking with them and I'm asking what, what produced that? What, what was it? If you had to look back, and it was a, it was a little bit of time that was invested. This church is now far beyond that point, and I think they, have been established for around 17 years. I don't, I don't know what their average attendance is now, but in 17 years, there's two Saturdays that that church has not done outreach. It's just a little bit of time God all I have is an hour on Saturday It's all I got my schedule's full my you, you see what everything I got going on I've got I've got an hour God says I'll take that hour watch what I can do with that hour. God all I've got is a minivan all, all I've got is, is a, an SUV all, all I got is the backseat of my car and, and God says well I wonder if you partnered that that hour on Saturday, at a specified and intentional location if there wouldn't be some kids that would want to come to church. I wonder, maybe, maybe there would be some folks that, that you could pick up and bring with you. It, God, it's only two seats in the, in the back of my car. God, hey, if you, man, if you just give me those two seats. Right. Wow, what I could do with those two seats. See, what you don't know is, is on the other side of town, i got somebody that's been praying and seeking after me, and I would love to put them in those two seats. We want to, we, we expect the big things to make all the difference. When I can spend a full day. When I when I can give ten thousand dollars. When I when I can. And, and our eyes. The scripture says we got to be careful because it's easy for our eyes to be in the, the ends of the earth, and we're we're always looking out there. And man, one day I'm gonna do something great for God. And God's going, hey, what what is that in your hand? What, what do I see right there? Yeah, that that little thing. It's like a widow woman who walks up to the offering plate and drops in two mites. Let me modernize this a little bit. She throws a penny in the plate and Jesus says, my goodness, did you see that? Man, you don't even know what I'm going to do with that. There was sacrifice in that. And all the apostles and the disciples, they're looking at Him like, it's, was there more? Did we only see the last penny? Maybe she put a lot in and then my eyes just seen the like la- that, that's all I've seen. God said, No, no, no. People have put more in. But but she just took what was in her hand and she just gave it to me. And oh, man, I'm, I'm going to wreck somebody's world with that penny. I'm going to change somebody's eternity with that penny. I'm going to do it. Samson. All the people. They're, they're surrounding him. They're coming out against him. And he's like, uh, huh, Look at there, a job hold. That doesn't have any life in it anymore. That's useless. That's dead. That, that's no more. That's how we feel a lot of times about our dreams and our callings and the things that we feel like God's spoken into our life. But 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 Samson was willing to pick that thing back up, not only in his hand, but to allow God to yield it in, in his hand. And a thousand people are slown, or slain, or slown, or however you want to say it, they're 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 taken out with the jawbone of a donkey. Well, that's stupid. So these are soldiers. You you you're, you're, you're going to come over here with a jawbone. Actually, if somebody was brave enough to stand before me with a jawbone, I'd probably be a little intimidated. But it doesn't seem like much. A little boy with a bag of lunch. Five loaves and two fishes. What is that? There's 5,000 people here, son. Thank you. That's cute, buddy. Good job. We really appreciate it, but it's it's not really going to help right now. Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. Let me see that. He just starts breaking. Starts giving people what they need. So much so that at the end of it, He tells the disciples, okay, go get the leftovers. That that part really stands out to me. God not only met the need with the inadequate resource, there was leftovers. Leftovers. So so my question today, I think Heaven's question today, is "What what's in your hand? What's the thing that you could be using for God right now, that you're not withholding, you, you've just overlooked. Sure. You're not saying God, you can't have this. I mean, after all, Moses is like, "You want it? I can get another staff. <laughs> I mean, there's there's trees all around. God, there's there's more stones in the brook. I I, I pick up another rock. I'm sure I can find another jawbone laying around." But what is it that, that we're not necessarily struggling to give God, we're just not even realizing God could use, because like the woman in, in the last Scripture that we read, we almost forget it's there. It seems so small, so insignificant. When you really evaluate, you begin to think about, what is there in my life that I could give God? What could I make room for? What could I, what could I change a little bit? I could allocate that resource, that energy, that effort, whatever it is, out of my hands, because I'm not really doing anything with it anyways. And I could just give it to God just to see what He would do. I think if we take the time, we're going to pray here in a minute, but if we would take the time to really evaluate and to think about and to pray on that, we all have something in our hand. Maybe... It hasn't been in our hand for a while, but it's still at our disposal. We've all got something that's just collecting dust, and I, I, I'm taking some liberty with the term "something" because I'm not talking about physical. I'm not telling you to go home, look through your garage, and see what you can sell and put the money in the offer. It's fine if that's what you want to do, but I'm saying there are there are skills, there are mentalities, there are relationships. There are emotional connections. There are time slots that we could take and rather than squander and waste, we could place in the hands of God and stand back and watch Him do something supernatural. I've taken just a few examples out of Scripture today because we could go over and over and over through miracles in the Bible. And many times it started out with, what do you have? Maybe it's an action of faith. Maybe it's, it's a, you, you really stepping out in faith. Peter and John making their way to the temple. The book of Acts. There's a lame man laying there on the ground. Alms. Oh, I need money. Somebody had carried him and placed him at the gate where he had been day in. And day out, pandering and asking for for charity and asking for money. Because that's the only way he could make a living. It wasn't that he was a a reject of society and and didn't want to go get a job. He couldn't do it. Peter and John come by and they're broke. They're like, hey man, silver and gold have we none. But what I do have, I'll give you. And they extend an empty hand. I'll give you, I'll extend some faith in your direction. And they take this individual by the hand and they pick him up. And the Bible says he starts leaping and running around the city praising God. Why? Because Peter and John were willing to say, it ain't much. And actually, I'm going to look really foolish if this guy doesn't get up. This is a little bit uncomfortable. I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us, how long had God been working on them? On that situation, the guy was. The, the scripture lets us know that that guy was was always in the same spot, right outside the temple. How many times had the disciples walked by and heard the voice of God say, "Hey, hey, give them what you've got." My Lord, I don't have anything except your faith. Sorry. All I've got is a little bit of faith. And so, over and maybe, maybe over and over again, they walk by and there's that, hey, just, just give them what you've got. God, I don't have anything. It's just a staff. Staffs don't help lame men, rocks don't kill giants. Finally, they had enough and they answered the question, what's in your hand? And they stop and God does something miraculous with what they thought was inadequate. What's in your hand? What do you have hold of? We're going to pray. We're going to take some time. I believe the answer is going to be different for a lot of people because we all have different things. We've all got different resources, different opportunities. But I'm telling you that little thing, something as simple as, man, here I am again in the house of God. I'm here again, Lord. It's another Sunday. I've been here a, a lot of Sundays before and I'm encouraged. I, I, I'm lifted up. You know, I have fellowship, but but man, there's going to be a there's there's going to be times where that one Sunday is life changing. God, I'll i tell you what I'll give you that two hours on a Wednesday night. That's what I'll do. I'll give you that, and and all of a sudden God begins to produce miraculous growth and discipleship in a person's life. Why? Because because <laughs> they were willing to give those few hours that just seem so ins- insignificant. Lord, my my schedule's busy. I got a lot going on, but yeah, I'll have I'll have somebody over for dinner. That's what I'll do. Well, I'll I'll intentionally put some fellowship on the calendar, without it being organized by the church. I'll just organically reach out because I I want to grow in my relationships. And God goes, yeah, and I'm going to do something there. I'm going to put connections in there. On and on and on. Feel like I could just beat this horse until there's there's nothing left. Because there's so much that we have in our life that we overlook. And God's asking a simple question today, what's in your hand? Let's take some time and pray. Ask Him to reveal it to us. Maybe we're so used to it that we can't see it anymore. We're so accustomed to it being there that it doesn't stand out. doesn't catch our attention. But God sees something, maybe you don't. There's something in your hand. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.